Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Shoes Fresh Ideas podcast. Thank you to one and all who have supported my venture thus far and a warm welcome to all new listeners. In each episode, we talk to uniquely exciting founders, innovators and experts connected to the Australian and global startup ecosystems so that you can get a taste of an exciting world of possibilities that is open to all of us in this age of innovation and disruption. My guests today are two such pioneering innovators who are using their extensive backgrounds in scientific research to commercialize cutting-edge artificial intelligence and machine learning technologies. Michelle and Don Perugini, a husband and wife duo from Adelaide, South Australia, are serial founders of three technology startups, namely ISD Analytics, Presagen and Life Whisperer. Their companies are centered around the application of predictive data analytics, behavioral modeling, and AI into fields of organizational decision-making, process automation, and reproductive therapy. Michelle has a PhD in medicine and has led research projects investigating and commercializing innovative health technologies. Michelle's co-founder and husband, Don, similarly holds a PhD in computer science and has worked on artificial intelligence within the Department of Defense for over a decade. Don's research into the application of AI to predict human behavior has formed the fundamental basis of their startup ventures, which they believe have the potential to become world leaders in AI-based applications. Outside of their startups, the couple also serve as mentors, innovators, and advisors to new founders within South Australia's growing startup ecosystem. Welcome, Michelle and Don, and thank you so much for participating in the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. No problems. So let's get started with your really interesting career journey in, uh, from, the, uh, from the world of science and research into the world of entrepreneurship and tech commercialization. So give us a little bit of a background on what you were doing and how you got started. Um, well, it's, it's done here. Um, at the time, I'd spent uh, 10 years in the Department of Defense working on um, you know, cutting-edge artificial intelligence for a range of applications. And um, the AI technology was quite um, powerful and very different to mainstream AI that you see um, the tech giants focusing on today, uh, which is mainly machine learning and deep learning, which is kind of where we were 20 years ago in the Department of Defense. Um, our AI was really based on uh, behavioral science and psychology, and it was great at predicting and automating um, human behavior, particularly the more complex behavior, which was beyond the capability of uh, machine learning. So, um, but I guess the issue there was that most of the research, um, or, or most of the work was done in a research context, I never really saw the technology practically applied um, in a useful way in, um, in defense. It was mostly, you know, publications and the like. Uh, Michelle and I were quite ambitious, and we saw applications commercially for the technology, so we decided to start our first business at IC Analytics. Yeah, and I think, too, for me, I really loved medical research, but I was always interested in the commercialization aspects. So when the opportunity came up for Don and I to join forces and, and go it alone, I jumped at the opportunity uh, I, I did stay in medical research for some time in the early days of ISD just to really provide an ongoing income stream while we got the business up and running. 
and it was quite challenging working in the startup as well as in research, but we managed quite well. And I guess if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So, um, and you know, I guess the nature of both of our characters is that we don't do things because they're easy. We do it to try and achieve something sort of special or to, or to make a real difference. ISD Analytics uh, was founded um, in 2006. Um, and obviously you move from science and into the world of startups. So, and you, as you said, it was challenging. How was the experience? How was the ride? And what were some of the learnings that came out of that? Um, yeah, it was, it was a great learning experience. Um, we started ISD Analytics without much uh, commercial experience at all, um, as you can imagine, coming from defense and the public service. Uh, um, but, you know, you, you learn very quickly when you have to run your own business. Um, for example, the, the one, that, the one that's at the top of my mind, having a very technical background. Um, you know, this is a common problem with academics with very deep uh, technology. Um, our, our initial presentations were very technical. No one really un understood them. And over time, you kind of get better at uh, communicating your product in layman's terms, focusing on why customers should use your product, why it's different what are the benefits to them rather than focusing on what it is and how it works? Yeah, and I think for me, having a tech startup was fun and exciting, but it was a bit like a roller coaster. So we had some really great successes as well as failures and we made many, many mistakes along the way. We could probably spend more than more than double the time of this podcast talking about those failures. But I think the whole process is about accepting that failure is part of that actual journey. And if you come into it with the right attitude, then you'll then you'll be able to achieve a, a good outcome in the end. So, for example, when you're selling a deep technology which is new and different and which customers don't even know exist, um, you receive a lot more no's than yeses and that's just the way it is. So you need to kind of accept that rather than take it personally and get distracted. And ISD Analytics really helped us develop enormously personally and allowed us to create something of great value that provides you know a great sense of achievement for both Don and myself yeah and and with regards to specific learnings um what's critical for startups uh, is getting the first few customers and or what we prefer to call um champions um, who actually use the product pay for the product and promote it to others um when you deliver that that particular uh, product or service well um you know um, getting the right first few customers in the right markets that have a painful enough problem that they're willing to try something different and spend the money um, in order to solve is, is essential. And it, unfortunately, it is really hard, but you need to, to, to stick with it. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy to work for the first customer that comes along because they're excited or curious about the technology. Um, and then what happens is, you know, you, you may do a pilot or some free work and six months down the track, after you've made a massive investment in time and money, you realise that the problem wasn't as significant enough for them to really spend money to make it commercially viable or, you know, the industry was conservative or slow or they don't have much money. Um, and then what happens if you have to try to pivot to another industry, um, you really have to start from scratch. So um, with our new AI automation startup, Presagen, um, you know, we launched in February this year, we're still searching for the right first few customers that will help us on a journey to create a, a billion-dollar global tech business. Uh, and we're happy to wait as long as it takes to find the right, uh, the right customer. Another lesson early on, early on, you don't need a large team. You just need a good team and a scalable product. In the past, we sometimes hired the wrong people to you know, have, a, have a significant impact on a, on a startup with a small team. Uh, when ICD Analytics was, was acquired by um, EY, 
why. We only had a team of five, but we were working all around the world uh, in different industry. Um, and the last, lastly, um, a good word of advice from a mentor and an investor um, in the US, um, less is more. You really need to focus in terms of your product and industry and do it well. Yeah, and I, I think, Shu, from my perspective, some of the, or one of the things that comes to mind for me is that one of the biggest lessons we've learned is it's not what you know, but it's who you know. And I think in our first business, we had a world-leading product, which is the same technology that Don mentioned underpins the Christian startup. Um, and even now, we believe it's ahead of its time. But that actually didn't matter in the end. What we lacked were the networks and the brand to get to the customers, to get to the right customers. And business owners really need to be out there all the time building their networks and brands. And you'll eventually meet someone that knows someone that needs your product. And that warm introduction really makes all the difference. So you can't just sit in your office and expect customers will walk through the door. And some of the opportunities we secured, you would you may say would come down to luck. But if you're always out there and attending events and meeting people and helping other people, you actually create your own luck. And for some people, this doesn't really come naturally. And this is particularly the case with people with an academic or deep technology background. But unfortunately, I think it's one of the critical things that you really need to get over um, or, or get someone else on board who can kind of drive that for you within the business. So shifting gears a bit, as well as uh, being tech founders, you're also partners in life. You have been married for a number of years. And so how did that dynamic play out in terms of, you know, entering the entrepreneurial world as co-founders? Yeah, challenging. <laughs> I think it's actually 13 years we've been married now. Um, to be honest, I think it actually worked to our advantage. So multiple people can often achieve more together than individuals can themselves. Um, and I think the same applies to life partners. We were both very vested. We were both very ambitious. We had very different but very complementary skill set. And we could go deeper and talk through issues outside of work time. And that was a real advantage. And we didn't always agree. But as soon as Don realised I was right, we made very good progress. <laughs> um, well, from my perspective, yeah, I think it worked uh, really well. Uh, we work well together, always in sync uh, with most of what we do. Um, and, we, and with our first business, we thought we had to apologise for being husband and wife, um, particularly to investors who uh, saw that as quite risky. But, you know, now we're not going to apologise for it. You know, we um, and, and so shouldn't the, the numerous companies that we mentor that are husband and wife teams. You know, if investors or customers don't like a husband and wife team, then, you know, just walk away and move on. Sure. Um, and obviously, you have been very successful with uh, three startups. Um, you know, one after another. So, you know, obviously you work very well as a team. So, um, so I think we have already touched upon this a little bit um, before. So both of you um, come from backgrounds in science and research. Both of you have PhDs. So in terms of picking up sales, finance, operations, marketing, and, and sort of running a successful business, um, did you find it was challenging and you had to learn a lot of things at the same time? And um, what's the kind of advice you would offer to fellow scientists who are probably considering being entrepreneurs and commercializing their technology? Uh, well, yes, there's there was definitely a learning curve, you know, but you pick up great commercial skills in, in the process and that's what academics do. You know, you're always wanting to learn and, and, and do new things. Yeah, and I think in the case of our AI startup Life Whisperer, so that's the one that uses AI to select embryos for IVF implantation to help couples wanting to have children. The inventor for that actual business idea was Jonathan Hall, and he's a PhD from the University of Adelaide. Um, and I guess this is a really good story about how you can do great things if you surround yourself with people who have the right experience and 
can leverage that technology into the market. And we sort of, when we met Jonathan, we had the commercial experience already from our previous business and we were mentoring him through a commercialization program. He had amazing technical experience and we were able to team up to create life with Don and I took care of most of the commercial aspects of the business and Jonathan focused on the technology. And we're creating a really great success story with that business and we've accelerated significantly where in six months we're almost ready for Series A investment. So scientists and inventors with deep technology can really team up with entrepreneurs and commercial experience, with commercial experience. You can really generate a great business. And these inventors will become tomorrow's entrepreneurs that can help the new breed of inventors and so on. And so, well, Michelle and I do a lot of mentoring with uh, startups and want to be entrepreneurs uh, in universities working on great deep technology. Um, you know, we've come across so many, which is which is really uh, exciting and and great. But you know, if if the right inventor comes along with a technology or product that fits with our commercial experience, which is typically in AI or the health tech space, then yeah, we're open to partnering with them and um, as as co-founders to create and accelerate a global tech business like what we did with. Uh, the life whisperer, we thought it worked well. Yeah, and I think the um the important thing to note there is if you try and do it all on your own and you don't have all the necessary skill sets, then it can be quite challenging. Um, and all of those other things that you mentioned too about you know sales and finances and operations of the business, I'd say don't get too caught up on it. You you need to learn as you go. It's just a process of an education process that every startup founder and entrepreneur goes through. And the more times you sort of do it and the longer you do it for, the better you get at it. Um, and you can always surround yourself with other people who are good at doing those things that can help out. So we'll move on to more, some of the more technical aspects of what you do and um, in terms of ISD analytics and precision in Life Whisperer. So um, if you had to explain to a layman um, what is predictive analytics that you and what is the technology behind um, your modeling, you know, your um, technology behind modeling human behavior? How would you explain that? So, the product that we had in ISD Analytics, which was very much around predicting human behavior, the best way to explain that is by starting with how people typically predict human behavior. And that's usually using statistics where they fit curves around historical data and extrapolate that forward into the future or using things like machine learning on personal customer data to try and identify patterns in customer data. And both of these approaches rely on the assumption that how people behave in the past, they'll also behave the same way in the future, which is not likely to be the case in today's disruptive markets. The product we had in IC Analytics was called Simulate. So um, that was basically used to simulate a whole population of people down to each individual household and person um, and, and what we did is we used behavioural science and psychology to accurately model uh, people's choices, how they made um, choices under different contexts and, and situations. And we're able to do this without using personal customer data or historical sales data, which is quite unheard of. Um, so, so we didn't actually identify specific people. It's not as if it was, uh, you know, simulating uh, John Smith that lives down um, you know, at a particular address. We, what we did is we used census data to create a picture of the types of people and their demographics across the population. And within that data, there's someone that represents the type of person that John Smith is. And then what we did is we used a whole range of other data sources, such as uh, market research, to capture people's cognitive decision process and attitudes, model the drivers around the choices they make. So the fundamental difference 
is that we're able to focus on why and how people made decisions rather than what decisions um, people had made in the absence of the context and understanding and the reasoning. So, um, and that's what statistics and machine learning does, which um, again, you lose all that information and you lose that uh, predictive power. So by understanding why people make decisions and the drivers that motivate those decisions, you can have a completely new situation that has not happened before and you're able to better predict what um, people do, better predict people's behavior. Um, and, and really the same principle applies to automation as with our precision business. The key is to focus on why and how people perform tasks from a behavioral science and cognitive perspective rather than focus on what they're doing, which is what machine learning does. Um, you know, and, machine, and, and don't get me wrong, machine learning has a place for a range of applications, including image analysis, as with our life whisperer business, you know, which inherently is a, is a data and image processing uh, and pattern matching type of uh, problem. But, you know, or, but, you know, when you're using machine learning, it's great at automating very simple repetitive tasks, which are easy to learn using past data, However, it's not that great at automating more complex human behaviour, which involves more complex cognitive decision process, reasoning and judgment calls. And I think this is why we have very big ambitions for Preston. It's a completely different AI approach and a completely different way of thinking. And it has massive disruption potential in the AI automation space, particularly given all of the tech giants are still stuck in the machine learning world and, and trying to leverage those large amounts of data. This is a fundamentally different approach we think is going to be very useful. And we're ready to play the long game um, when the realities of machine learning and what it's actually capable um, of sets in. We believe Prestgen will become a world leader in automation. For wow, that's very interesting. And I hope it does. And, you know, we have a great success come out of South Australia. So in 2015, um, ISD Analytics was sold to Anston Young um, and you worked in the corporate world uh, for a short while. Um, so how was the acquisition process and what were the learnings from this experience? Yeah, this was a really great learning experience for us and, um, you know, including the large the acquisition process, working within a large global corporate with an innovative product and, and finally our departure from EY. I think the, the main thing we learned is that our passion for startups and the challenge of commercialising deep technology to create global tech tech businesses, that's that's really what we want to do we, we're really passionate about that really passionate about that early commercialization stage and that's why we're really enjoying what we're doing now with Preston and Life Whisperer as well as mentoring other startups within the universities and there's great people great ideas and great technology out there and some just need a helping hand to move them forward it could be a simple email or introduction that can make all the difference and you know for the success of, of these young startups so we, you know, I, I'd say it was a very positive experience overall and we learned a lot. We understand how the other side works now, um, but we're very happy to be back in that early commercialisation. Yeah, and it reminds me, um, a friend of mine on the weekend asked, you know, how's, how's work going? And I said, great, I'm having lots of fun. And he kind of had a, a, um, a weird look at me and, and, thought, and, and I said to him, yeah, I'm having, you know, lots of fun. We're working with great technology and um, we, we can start to see, uh, this, this, you know, new, new, particularly life whispers going extremely well, and and seeing the growth of this, uh, this, this capability in this business. Um, yeah, it's just very exciting and, and lots of fun. Back in the startup world, and you have co-founded two AI-driven technology companies, um, Presurgeon and Life Whisperer. Um, can you tell us um, a bit more about that story, um, and you know, and also a bit more on the technologies? So. At 
As I mentioned previously, the technology that underpins Presigen um, and our previous business, IC Analytics, uh, emerged from the Department of Defence where I was a research scientist. Um, it was cutting edge technology. And, and at the time we had collaborations with DARPA in the US, um, the UK and Canada. Um, and, and in actual fact, our first business was going to be Presigen around uh, using AI for automation. Um, however, the world wasn't really ready for it. You know, we, we did try. Uh, we went to see some customers about AI and automation. We were, we were quickly shown the doors. So, um, so you know, um, we, we decided instead to start IC analytics around predictive analytics. And, and really now is, it is the right time for Prestigen. Um, AI and automation is a lot more accepted. It's understood. Um, and there's a lot more business investment in this area. And the story around Life Whisperer is a little bit different. So when we left EY, Don and I spent a lot of time doing mentoring. And I was involved in the e-challenge program run by the University of Adelaide. And the team I was assigned to as a mentor was called Life Whisperer. And um, Jonathan was a team member at that time running that, that particular project through the commercialisation program. And he had the idea of using AI and other image analysis techniques to analyse images of embryos and to assess their viability for implantation in IVF. Um, and the whole point was to be able to improve the chances of success for couples wanting to have children. Not only did we think this was a great idea, but we had also known and, and still know many people who have tried and failed at IVF, um, which is a really, it's a really difficult process for people to go through and it would be great to find a technology to be able to improve that. Um, but it also fit really nicely with our background. So I had a PhD in medicine spent around over, over a decade as a, as a stem cell biologist, so that fit really nicely with the embryology field. Obviously, John's background in AI fit very nicely. Um, and Jonathan was a, a superstar at image analysis and, and other physics techniques, um, perfect triad. Um, and so we decided to partner and we created Life Whisperer and the rest is history. Um, so at this point in time, there is a, like, um, as Don was saying before, that probably AI technologies were not as popular a few years ago, but now it seems like there is a huge interest for AI. A lot of organizations are kind of experimenting with it. And there is also a little bit of um, scaremongering, we can say, um, that you know a lot of people are saying that um, many of present-day jobs will be made redundant and so forth. So what are your thoughts on AI in general and its significance? Personally, I think there's a lot of uh, hype and scaremongering mongering around AI, definitely. Um, so if we focus on the hype, um, if, it feels like what we're seeing now is, is reminiscent of, uh, of the AI winter in the 80s. You know, the, in, in the 80s, there was so much hype around AI and what it could do. Um, and really, the industry collapsed and AI, AI was kind of tainted um, when it couldn't actually deliver. For example, back in the 80s, um, AI was applied and worked well to a whole range of toy problems and games. However, when people try to apply it to real-world, complex real-world problems, um, it didn't work so well. Um, and, and that's where the issues were. And today, it's, it's a little bit of a deja vu. You know, we, we kind of see these news articles about AI playing games like Jeopardy, Go, Chess, uh, computer games. Um, however, the question is, is it really going to translate to those complex real-world problems? Um, you know, these games are difficult. I, you know, I completely agree with that. However, they're still constrained and simpler compared to many of the real world problems that can really benefit from automation. 
And like the 80s, the industry was fixated on a general data-driven AI technique like machine learning, where, you know, personally, I, I just don't think it's capable of easily solving all of the problems that industry is uh, throwing at it at the moment. AI techniques like what Presogen uses was actually created to overcome the problems of, uh, you know, we saw in AI in the 80s. Uh, but further to that, um, what's important for us is we always try to apply the right AI techniques to the right components of the problem, whether it's machine learning, optimization, natural language processing, image processing, trying to solve all these problems with just one technique, mainly machine learning, which what, you know, we really see um, what industry, a lot of these startups doing with the expectation that just throwing more data and computing power at it is just going to produce a good result, I personally don't think um, it's, it's going to work well. So the second issue around AI is scaremongering, particularly around job losses and the creation of super intelligent machines. And we've all heard the term robot apocalypse coming up in the media and that these super intelligent machines will take over the world. And we believe this just will not happen in our lifetime, if at all. AI is just really not at the level where it can take over whole jobs. Rather, it can help with specific tasks or augment what people do. And in most situations, these are tasks that people don't want to be doing anyway. For example, what motivated us to start Preston was the acquisition to EY. And at the time, our staff's productivity in ISD was around 95%. And when we moved to EY, it dropped to around 70%. And when we looked closer, we discovered that our team were now spending time on a range of admin tasks that they didn't really want to do, such as timesheets, travel, expense reports, and CRM entries. And these tasks are typically done manually because it's a process and decisions need to be made. However, it can be automated either partially or fully. And automating these tasks will allow staff to become more productive and work on more productive and creative tasks. The recent report I was reading, it was quoted that by 2020, the population of people over 65 years will actually outnumber the population of people under five years old. So our population is aging and we may not actually have enough work workforce to be able to support them. This is also forcing government policy to increase the pension age. So automation may be necessary in the future to be able to cope with this aging population. And lastly, and I think most importantly, there's actually many benefits to society from AI. So with ISD, we used our model to assist with government policy in a whole range of different areas, conservation, energy policy, education, workforce planning, and in health to understand what types of technologies could assist people to better manage their health and reduce diabetes and the cost of the health system, as well as transport and emergency response, predicting how, how people will actually respond in bushfires to assist with managing alerts and saving lives. And... This is particularly important with Life Whisperer and this technology. And what we're aiming to do there is assist couples wanting to have children in a world where fertility globally is declining. And Preston is aimed at automating mundane tasks to allow people to do what they, they do best. So there's no doubt that there may be disadvantages and risks associated with AI, like many disruptive technologies, but there's certainly great benefits that it can bring. And the cities and countries that don't invest in these areas and grow an ecosystem with a future workforce with these skills, not only will they risk losing jobs from automation if it gets that far, but they'll also risk losing jobs for people who build these automation systems as well. So there's great opportunities for AI to really improve the lives of, of people and improve the um, society as a whole. Absolutely. Um, it's very interesting. Um, so you're also looking into helping the South Australian ecosystem develop and, um, and you're also serving as mentors within CSIRO on Prime and Techstars. 
So what are your thoughts on Aussie founders and what do they need the most in terms of support? Uh, well, you know, there's many aspects to business, you know, there's strategy, operations, technical, sales, marketing, etc. Um, and and, and there are, you know, many mentors that can assist across all of these areas. Um, however, it's, it's my belief that what startups really need is a customer and they need the right customer. Um, you know, you can strategize all you like, you can spend months building, you know, the best business plan or the best product. Um, however, you know, if, if you don't have um, a customer that actually wants the product and that's willing to, you know, solving a, a significant enough problem that they're willing to pay good money for it, um, yeah, it's, 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 the business is always going to struggle. So, so in my view, startups need a customer and the rest will typically follow. And with regards to getting that first customer, startups need to get their messaging right um, and they need to test that messaging broadly and which we mentioned previously is actually quite difficult with deep technology um, particularly for academics or very technical people and they also need the right networks to be able to get to that customer which is where we think mentors really can play a big role um, and a lot of mentors are reluctant to kind of introduce people or these new startups and entrepreneurs to people within their network for the fear of something going wrong or disrupting that relationship. But I think if you've got very strong networks, I think your networks understand that you're introducing these people for the joint benefit of both them and your own and your own business. So I think it's really important to be able to broker those introductions and we're very help, happy to help people where it makes sense and introduce people to our networks where we think there's a mutual benefit. And one day when we need, a, we, when we need help, hopefully they'll return the favour. Um, South Australia and many parts of the nation have kind of gone through a tough economic shift. Do you think technology startups can help to sort of cushion some of the blow and create a spark um, new economic growth and create a new wave of jobs? Absolutely. I think South Australia and Australia more broadly have world-leading research and researchers in, in technology. Um, I think one of the main challenges is that we as a culture often lack the risk appetite to commercialise the technology or to uptake this new technology to create jobs and wealth for the country and to ultimately make a difference in the world. So I think Tech startups are not the only answer, but we can definitely do better as a as a society and, and with the culture in, in fostering those startups and fostering that new technology and supporting it into the market. So in, in saying that we need the right environment and culture to facilitate this, um, you know, you know, from universities to support uh, commercialization, from government to provide policies and gr grants to support commercialization, you know, you know, from investors to, you know, investing startups and, um, and, and, and even broader, the, you know, the broader community to encourage entrepreneurship and wanting people to do well and be successful. And, and on one hand, not vindicating people for failure, um, but also not vindicating people for doing too well. Now, we've definitely come a long way since our first business 10 years ago. Um, Life Whisper emerged from the University of Adelaide and we're currently hosted by the University of Adelaide in their uh, Think Lab, which has been really um, great. And the Think Lab's here to help startups commercialise uh, technology. So, um, you know, both our business have, have received generous grants from the government um, and, and that's made a significant difference to where we are now. And I think just to add to that, I think particularly within South Australia, the government is doing a lot to support early commercialisation startups um, and they're genuinely doing a lot to support them. There's lots of early commercialisation funding available. There's venture capital funding available. So there's definitely a shift in the culture and the readiness and, and opportunities for, for startups to really be supported by the government. So there's no excuse why the culture can't flourish from, from this point on. So um, traditionally in Australia, 
um, R&D spending has been low and also it has been cut down over, you know, in the last five years. And um, a lot of STEM graduates say that they don't have as many opportunities once they graduate. Um, so, so are you seeing a shift in that? And do you feel that it's going to change um, in the near future? Yeah, I think this really relates to the previous question. I think if research is able to be commercialized and demonstrate a benefit to society like jobs and wealth, rather than just research papers, then I believe it would encourage greater R&D funding by the government and industry itself. And by creating great global tech businesses and successful tech people that go with it, this could provide aspiration for the younger generation to study STEM and follow that same path. So it's kind of a circular impact. I think you can't have one without the other, but I think we need to encourage again a culture of commercialisation and a culture of doing research that actually um, leads to commercial outcomes and benefits society and the economy. And then it will kind of flow on in terms of research funding coming back to those different programs and, and a greater appetite for people to engage with those STEM programs. Absolutely. So it's just creating the positive feedback loop. Uh, and showing the impact. Uh, so I think the last question, that's for Don. So if, like if there are aspiring founders who are looking into the AI and the data space um, and they want to get in this space, what, what are the tips that you'd offer? Um, oh, just, just do it. You know, there's, there's uh, lots to learn in the AI space. There's so many applications that you can throw AI at. Um, and, and you don't even need to be technical, is, is my view. You know, you just need a great idea or industry problem and the right attitude. And you can partner with technical people um, and, in order to create a great business. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. So, so for those with the ideas um, or for those with the deep technology and maybe the academics or, um, or want to be entrepreneurs, yeah, do it. Absolutely. And Michelle, do you have anything else to add? Well, I think the only the only thing I would add to that is I agree with the just do it attitude. Um, but I think if you if you're going to do it, don't expect instant returns. Expect that it is a journey, and it's a journey that even if it fails, you will learn a huge amount. You will grow both personally and professionally, and you will undoubtedly be either more employable um, down the track, or you will be more in a position, in a better position to sort of create great successes in the future in your own startup. So absolutely go for it. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree with both of you. There is so much opportunity in this AI space and also the tech startup space in Australia. So if anyone's interested, they should get into the space and connect and network and things will happen. So thank you very much, uh, both of you, for answering uh, the questions and um, I'm sure the listeners have learned a lot about um, all the interesting tech startups that you're involved in as well as AI and um, the exciting ecosystem in South Australia. So thank you, both of you, for your time. That's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Shu. Hi there. This is Shu again thanking you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed the content, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes to keep up to date on future episodes. If you'd like to check out my regular blog articles, please visit shoesgreenpatch.com. Also, you can find me at shoesgreenpatch on Twitter or Instagram or like the shoesgreenpatch Facebook page. I look forward to connecting with you and hearing your feedback. Until next time, goodbye.